How we doing? Good, man, good. Glad you're here. Glad you're doing good. You're looking good, too. All right, just like to throw that out there. Uh, Jasper, you're looking good, too. Uh, man, we're starting a new series today called I C N U, and those are four letters made up of an acronym, and what they mean is this. They literally mean I C N U. But we understand, we understand that the word C starts with an S, but it just wouldn't sound right to say I-S in you, all right? And the whole concept of this series that we're talking about is one on leadership, but we're saying we see something in you. We see something in you that maybe you don't see, maybe others have seen, maybe you don't see it, maybe others haven't seen it either, but God sees it. And so what we're saying as a church, we want to help you see what you don't see. We want to help you to see that God has called all of us to leadership. God has called all of us to positions of leadership. Now, you may be thinking that you're not a leader because you don't have a title, but I want you to understand something. Leadership has nothing to do with titles. Leadership has everything to do with influence. And so leadership at the end of the day is ultimately about influence, how you are influencing or affecting other people. And so you may not have a title, you may not see yourself as a leader, but ultimately God is equipping us and calling us as a church to help you see that, to help you understand that whether you realize it or not, you are influencing people. And so therefore you have the awesome responsibility and authority to lead. And so you may be a mother and think, you know, I'm not a leader. I'm just a mom. But here's the thing. If you've got kids, you have influence over those kids. And therefore, you're in a position of leadership. You may be a father and, and think, man, I'm, you know, I'm just a low podium at the toll at the business or whatever it is that you do. But if you've got kids, you have a position of leadership because you are influencing them. So you might be a husband, you might be a wife, and you think, I don't have a position of leadership, I'm just this. I want you to understand something. All those are positions of leadership because all those are positions of influence. And so as a church, what we're saying is we want to make sure that we're developing and deploying people into leadership for the good of the mission of what God's trying to do. And so leadership development is one of our five objectives as a church that we laid out last fall. If you were here, if you weren't, I'll just kind of qu uh, quickly recap for you. It's one of five objectives that we're trying to accomplish as a part of our Multiply initiative. And this is the fifth and final one. I've already preached through the other four, and those are first and foremost spiritual development, which that is our mission as a church to grow people. That's just our way of saying make disciples. So at the core of what we're trying to do as a church is we're trying to grow people. The second objective, which is right in line with that one, just specifically applied to families, is family development. And so as a church, we also want to invest in kids and students. And so really the kind of three different environments we have are kids, students, and adults. And so we talk about spiritual development, family development. Those two are inseparably linked, and they have the same mission. And so if you've got a child from... Birth through fifth grade, we want to grow kids. If you have a teenager, sixth through twelfth grade, we want to grow students. And then that all is a part of our mission to grow people. So those two objectives are really at the core of what we're trying to do. And then the other three objectives are how we accomplish those. The third one we talked about was generosity development. 
We want to be a church made up of generous people that are funding the mission because we all understand that, that it takes money to fund the mission. And so we want to develop generous people. Last series we just wrapped up talked about artist development, how we've got to develop artists that lead us out in worship because that's a part of our spiritual development. And then this series, we're going to talk for the next four weeks about leadership development. Because here's the thing. John Maxwell says that everything rises and falls on leadership. Every crisis we face in the world today, every crisis you face in your family, every crisis you face in your job, every crisis you face in the church is a crisis of leadership. And so we just firmly believe if we can help to discover, develop, and deploy godly leaders then the environment or the landscape of our communities will change. And so as a church, what we're saying in this series of I seeing you is we see in you a leader maybe that you don't see yourself. And we want to help discover and develop and deploy you for the good of the kingdom of God. So that's why we're doing this series. And we're going to start this series off looking at a story in 1 Kings chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. That's in the Old Testament. It's page 289 in my Bible. I don't know if that's the same exact page of yours, but it's probably somewhere around there. All right. And so in this story, I figured it would be great. We've been camping out over the last five or six weeks or so looking at other kings in the Old Testament. Primarily, we looked at the King David as a part of the last series. Then last week, we looked at King Jehoshaphat. They got some crazy names up in the Old Testament. All right. And so this week, we're going to look at another king, King Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son, which means he was David's grandson. And so in 1 Kings chapter 12, he was faced with a leadership crisis, and we're going to look at how he handled that and then uh, kind of extract from those some leadership principles that we can learn about what it means to be a leader. All right. But as always, before we jump into the text, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, we want to um, stop as always and just acknowledge that without you, we are nothing. Without you, we can do nothing. God, thank you that you're a God that didn't leave us in the grave. You didn't leave us to our own devices, but you came and sought us out. You came to save us. And so, God, we are utterly dependent upon you. And so, God, as we open up your word today, we recognize again that we need you to open our eyes, to see the truth in it, to open our ears, to hear what you would have for us. And then, God, help us to respond in faith, to believe that not only the stories about what we read were true, but the principles that we can take from them, God, are true. And if we will apply them, if we will live in your truth, God, if we will practice what you have preached to us in your word, then we will see transformation. And that's what we want. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12, again in the Old Testament. Comes right before 2 Kings, if you're wondering about that one. All right, that joke's still funny to me. Nobody else. 1 Kings chapter 12. We're gonna start in verse one. We'll work our way down to verse 15. But I'm gonna read through verses one and six first to kind of give you a context of the story. And then I'll come back and talk about it, all right? So chapter 12, verse one, it says this. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Verse three, and they sent and called him and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, your father, referring to Solomon, made our yoke heavy. 
Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? Again, context is David, second king, right? He wanted to build a temple. He didn't get the chance to do that. His son Solomon did. So as Solomon builds the temple and really has a, a huge prosperous time as a nation, and so they build the temple and he has all these alliances because Solomon was very wise. And during that time, Israel had unprecedented peace and prosperity. Now, Solomon, when he was made king, he was young and he asked God for wisdom. God said, do you have anything you ask? He asked for wisdom. Great thing. He was a very wise person, arguably called the wisest person who's ever lived. However, in his old age, he made some unwise decisions because Solomon liked girls. Literally, the Bible says he had a thousand wives. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't even fathom that. That sounds like what hell would be like, all right? I'm just being honest. And not because I don't love my wife, but here's what I'm saying. Imagine wives what that would be like for you. I think that would be what, it, I mean, eternal neglect, right? And, and, and this eternal, the reason why I mention that is because how in the world can you make a thousand wives happy, right? Like how in the world could you lead out in that leadership crisis? Shocker, it didn't go well, right? I mean, come on, Solomon. So as a part of that, God obviously is very displeased. And this cat named Jeroboam comes up and starts to, you know, kind of speak out against Solomon. And then he's, he has to flee. And now Rehoboam, Solomon's son, takes leadership. He is now the king. And so he's stepping into kind of a tumultuous time because in the latter part of his dad's life, he just wasn't making wise decisions. And Jeroboam comes back and asks Rehoboam, hey, your father made us do all this stuff. We had to build all these things. Now they had unprecedented peace and prosperity. So we don't know all the motives of Jeroboam, if this was even an appropriate thing to ask. But here's what we know. Rehoboam is just put into leadership, and he's faced with a crisis. He's faced with a huge leadership crisis as a king, because all the people come and ask this request. Now, a couple things I want to point out here that Rehoboam does good. Two things. One, he tells the people, hey, go away for three days. Go away for three days. Let me think about this. A leadership principle we could all learn is whenever you're faced with some kind of decision, probably the best thing that you could do is step back. Don't just make a hasty decision because almost always we regret those decisions 10 seconds right after we made them, right? And so you got to kind of step back, you know, deal with emotions, you know, this is why it's so important when you're buying a car, don't rush into it right then. But it's also why the salesmen don't want you to leave because they know you're going to think about it, right? And so it's always appropriate, I think, to take a little bit of time. My, my pastor, before I got here, he was always great at, at helping us understand. Anytime we had decisions to make, he was very fond of saying, 
that Jesus was raised on the third day. So he would always say, hey, take three days and pray about it. You never know what God can do. And so when I was praying about coming here, that was his advice to me because he had been where I was going. And so he said, hey, take three days and pray about it. Fast and pray. And that's exactly what we did. And on the third day, God made it clear. Yes, I want you to take this church and use my daughter as the example to say, this is what I want for you. And so he does a wise thing. He steps back, says, let me think about this. Let me, I mean, he doesn't say in the text that he was going to pray about it, but I'm just kind of extrapolating from it for you. Whenever you're faced with any kind of leadership decision, that's always wise. Kind of step back, think, get perspective and pray. Now, the second thing that he does is also really, really good. He asks the guys who served with his father, Bible just says old men, but the, the point is not so much about their age because Rehoboam, we know at this time is 41. It's not so much about their age. It's about their wisdom, their experience. It says that they stood before his father. So what that means is they had leadership clout. They had been in leadership positions before they had served with his father. So he does a second great thing in asking someone who had been where he's currently at how he should navigate this. It's another leadership principle for you. There have been people that have been a father before you're a father. There have been people that have been a mother before you're a mother. There are people who have been a businesswoman before you're a businesswoman. There are people who have been a teacher before you're a teacher. There are people who have been a pastor before you're a pastor. So what that means is someone has gone ahead of you. And you would do yourself a huge favor if you would step back and ask them, hey, how do I navigate this situation? But here's what's important to ask. You need to ask the right people. You need to ask the people who have been where you are. This is why if you're a parent and you've got young kids, please do not take advice from a single person that got no kids. Because every single person with no kids thinks that they are the greatest parent on the planet, right? But parenting's a lot like how Mike Tyson used to talk about fighting. Everybody's got a plan until you get knocked in the mouth when you get in the ring, right? And let's just be straight with it. You thought you were a good parent until you actually became one. So you need to ask a question of a parent who's gone before you who went six straight weeks without sleeping. Like, what do I do in that circumstance, right? So you need to ask someone who is wise, which means they've gone before you and they navigated it successfully. So if you want to have a lasting marriage, you might want to have a conversation with somebody who just had their 50th wedding anniversary, not somebody who's on their third wife. You with me? All right. That's important because of the rest of the story. All right. So he asks the guys who had been where he was, who had done what he's now tasked with doing and leading the people. Great. Now listen to what they say to him. Verse seven. And they said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them, when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. So these wise guys give him an if-then statement. Everybody say if. Yes. That is a big word in two letters, right? If. Now, I remember from my middle school English classes that if there's an if, then there has to be a then. 
right? And I always know where to put the comma. The comma comes right before the then. I think that's how we still teach today, all right? Who knows? The way they teach stuff today, I'm like, I don't even know what this is, right? Like, I thought just two plus two was four, but you got to do a tree, right? I don't know. I don't get this. And so, um, but very simply, it's a big if, if you will be a servant to these people, if you will be a servant, that's the title of my message today, if you will be a servant and you will serve these people and speak good words to them, then they will serve you forever. Great leadership wisdom. If you will be a servant. Now, remember, this is the king they are talking to. And kings are in the place of ultimate authority. Kings sit on a throne. And kings have servants. Kings have servants that do what the king tells them to do. And these guys who had led for a long time with his father are flipping on its head what it means to be a king. Flipping on its head of saying, listen, Rehoboam, if you see yourself as you're here for them to serve you, it's not going to go well. But if you see yourself as appointed by God to serve them, if you see yourself as a servant and you actually serve them and you speak good words to them, then they will serve you forever. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? But what I've realized today, common sense ain't so common. I mean, it only makes sense that when you're pushed into a leadership position, maybe you want it, maybe you didn't want, that yes, as a leader, your job as a leader is to take people into a preferred future. That is why God raises up leaders. And so a leader's responsibility is to envision the future and then empower people to get there. That's the point of leadership. The point of leadership is to envision a future and then empower people to get there. So again, if you're a father, if you're a mother, if you're a husband, if you're a wife, God has put you in places of leadership and your role is to envision what kind of marriage do you want? What kind of kids do you want? And then empower people to accomplish that. That's the point of leadership. But here's what I know to be true and you know to be true. One way to accomplish that vision is not to empower people, but to demand of people. Not to empower people to get there, but to enslave people to get there. And so the point is not just the vision. The point is, how did you empower the people to get there? Because a true leader, listen to me, a true leader knows that the goal is not just to use people to get things done. The real goal of a leader is to use things to get people done. Again, let's go back to our kids. Now, do I want my kids to get things done? You better believe it. I want them to clean their room. I want them to do the dishes. I want them to empty the trash, right? I want them to take my shoes off. Ain't no shame in that, right? <laughs> I want them to brush their teeth. I want them to do things. But understand me, if my goal as a father is simply to get my kids to do stuff for me, then I see it as they're there to serve me. 
Now, the reason why I want my kids to do things because we're using those things to get my kids done. We're using those things to give opportunities for my kids to develop into people who see it as their mission to serve others. I'm trying to do all y'all a favor, right? And raise kids that actually bless the world. Raise kids that actually bless the church. Raise kids that actually bless the family. And the only way that that can happen in a way that it's the best for them is if I see myself as a father, not lording my authority over them, but using my authority to come up underneath them and use opportunities to equip and empower them. So that's the leadership wisdom that Rehoboam got. Great. But verse 8. Look at verse 8. But. Mm, ain't the right conjunction right here, man. But he abandoned the counsel of the old men that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men. Now listen to this. Who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young man who had grown up with him said to him, thus you shall speak to this people who have said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but lighten it for us. Thus you will say to them. Now, now listen to the things that they say. Listen to this next line. My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. What? That doesn't even make sense. My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. Don't men come up with the weirdest comparisons? Don't men take the weirdest things and make them a sign of manhood? You, you think my father had thick thighs? Thighs are typically one of the biggest parts of your body. But now it's our waist, right? And so um, it's you know, our thigh is very thick, very muscular, our biggest, strongest bone, right? So he's saying, you think my father's thighs are thick? His, his thighs are the size of my little finger. What? And now listen, it gets worse. Verse 11, and now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. What? What is this, a funny farm? Like, I mean, just, just picture this. This is the advice that these young men, and now remember, Rehoboam was 41, and so they're categorizing young as 41. Praise Jesus, right? And so, but don't you know there's a lot of 41-year-old men acting like 14-year-olds? And you want to know why they're acting that way? Because they've had the same friends since they were 14. And the only counsel they take is from those who grew up with them and have only stood before them. That's what it says. They stood before him. They had not stood before a king before. They had not stood in any kind of leadership position before. And so this, what we would call today, was Rehoboam's entourage. This is his boys. This is those that he grew up with. And you can only imagine that Rehoboam goes to them, hey, what should I do? And they come up with this ridiculous statement. You tell them that your finger 
What? Your daddy's thigh is as thick as my little finger. You tell them I'm way more of a man than your father. Again, men, we, we judge manhood by weird things. I got a six-inch lift on my truck and bigger tires. And you drive a Prius. <laughs> I hunt and fish. And drink while I do it. Right? I mean, let's, let's be straight, man. Don't we judge manhood in such weird ways? And this is the advice of his friends. You, you want to know what I've realized? You can find anybody to justify any sin you want to do. Let me say that to you again. You can find anybody to justify any sin you want to do. You want to know why Rehoboam sought the advice of his friends? Because he didn't want to serve the people. He didn't. He heard that, and you got to know in his own heart, again, the Bible doesn't tell us, I'm just a little bit of conjecture here. You got to think that he's thinking, hold up, I'm the king, and you want me to serve them? I'm finally in a place of power. I mean, my dad had a thousand wives. I mean, come on, they are here to serve me. You want me to serve them? So Rehoboam goes out to his buddies and is like, surely this is not what they think I should do. What do you think I should do? Oh, you should go out there and tell them you're going to whip those jokers with scorpions. <laughs> now, I don't know if this is like for real legit scorpions. It could be most historians think that it's a reference to a certain type of whip because he says your father used whips but I'm going to use scorpions, and, and that whip would be on the end of it, like the tail of a scorpion would have shards of metal. So either way, if it's like, I'm going to get, I mean, I, just, I can't, like, I'm going to chase you with a scorpion, right? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to motivate you with scorpions, right? Either way, the point is this. Rehoboam sees the people as a means to an end to justify his own arrogance. As a mean, they are there for him. And if they don't want to be there for him, he will whip them into submission. Now, look at verse 12. Unfortunately, the story goes, so Rehoboam and all the people, Jeroboam, sorry, and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, um, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. Leaders must be listeners. The king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke to Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, here's what you need to understand. God had already prophesied that the kingdom was going to be ripped away because of the unfaithfulness of Solomon and others. And Rehoboam, in this moment, does not realize 
the implications of his bad leadership decisions. We know from history, it was at this point that the United Nation of Israel, which was made up of the 12 tribes, broke away. 10 tribes go with Jeroboam. Two tribes stay with Rehoboam. We now have a splitting of the kingdom of God. The two kingdoms, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. My friends, if you do not think there are repercussions for how you lead, you are sorely mistaken. If you and I are not servant leaders in our homes, it will be ripped apart. If you and I are not servant leaders in our marriage, it will be ripped apart. If you and I are not servant leaders in our place of business and for sure in the church, it will be ripped apart. There are implications of bad leadership. And the only way biblically to understand rightfully what leadership is about is to understand that God raises up people that he wants to serve and bless the people. So leadership is never about the leader. Leadership is always about God and the people. And so leadership is ultimately defined by how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a tyrant or do you see yourself as a servant? I did a series back in 2014, and if you want a fun time, just go back and watch it and see how different I looked back then, all right, uh, before glasses and about 50 pounds. And so I did this series on leadership called Ants, and it's just simply Ants, and it says series on leadership, and here's why, because the word tyrant ends with A-N-T, and the word servant ends with A-N-T, so we got real creative and said, which ant are you? Which ant are you? Are you a tyrant? Are you a servant? Which are you? Because there are huge implications for which one you are. Now, quickly, you can flip over to Matthew chapter 20 if you want to. If not, I've got it here on the screen. This is Jesus talking. Jesus gives us the example of leadership. Jesus is arguably the greatest leader who has ever lived. And for all the crazy Old Testament stories where you see people getting it wrong, thank God that in the New Testament, you see Jesus getting it right. And that's the point. When you read all these crazy stories of the Bible and you see how those people acted wrongly, the point of telling you that is don't put your hope in a person. Put your hope in Jesus. And listen to Jesus talk in Matthew 20, verse 25 through 28. It says, but Jesus, that's a right conjunction. But Rehoboam did that. But Jesus called to them his disciples and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones, some translations say leaders, exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Verse 28, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's what you need to understand about Jesus. He's a different kind of king. In fact, the book of Revelation chapter 17 says this. It calls him the king of what? Anybody know? Kings. So much so it's on his thigh and on his robe. Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. So what that means is this. There is no king higher than Jesus. King Jesus is the king of kings. 
So you got King Rehoboam, now you got King Jeroboam, you got all kind of kings and presidents in the world today, but here's what we need to understand. All those kings are there because Jesus lets them be there. Jesus is the king above all those kings. And here's how the king of kings lived his life. He lived his life as one of service. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus redefines kingship. Jesus redefines leadership. Jesus puts kings and leaders on notice, and he says this. Listen, if you're using your position of authority to lord it over people, you are not in my kingdom. But if you use your position of leadership to get underneath people and lift them up, you're in my kingdom. Because my kingdom is the opposite of the kingdoms of this world, and I'm the king of that kingdom, and this is how this kingdom is going to be run. Because this is how the king himself did it. So let me ask you a question, friends. If you're a tyrant or you're a servant, if you cannot humble yourself and serve your spouse, if you cannot humble yourself and serve your family, if you cannot humble yourself and serve others, serve those in your business, serve those in your church, then what you're saying is you're not walking in the way of your king. You're living in a different kingdom, in a different way. And this is what amazes me. People who won't serve are ultimately saying this, I'm too good to do what my king did. Jesus said, even the son of man, that was his favorite term for himself. He did not refer to himself as son of God. Even in that, you see his humility. He referred to himself as son of man more than anything else. Why? Because he wanted them to know, I'm here for you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to give my life as a ransom for you. Now think about that. The king of kings, there is no one higher than him. And Philippians 2 tells us that even though he shared equality with God, he emptied himself of his own glory and took on the form of a servant and he died the lowest death that you could go, one of a criminal and was buried into the ground. So the highest king went to the lowest place. And that's why the Bible says, When he raised him from the dead, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord because he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Proving that real power, real authority is not shown by how you whip or lord over. It is shown by how you put on a towel and serve under. That's real authority. That's real power. That's real leadership. And the reason why we're doing this series is very simple. We're saying to you, that's the kind of leaders we want to be. You know, I told you last week, I challenged every service on the statement about joy when I said, you know, I want our staff to exhibit joy and you have every right to make sure they're being joyful. I didn't say that because I was somehow mad at the staff or staff's in trouble and I need all y'all to keep them in check, right? I said that because I wanted to make a statement of the fact that I wanted our staff to lead out in joy. And I'm saying this today to make a statement of saying, I want our staff to lead out in servant leadership. I want our staff to go first, but in going first, to put themselves last, to put on a towel and serve. 
And what we're saying as a church is we want to serve you because we see something in you. We see in you the potential for great leadership. And over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about some steps and some philosophies and things we want for you. But I want you to understand that we're here to serve you, to be servant leaders to you, not to lord over anything to you, but to come underneath you and say, you can do it. We can help. Home Depot didn't know how biblical that was, did they? (laughs) You can do it. We can help. So we believe that God wants you to be in leadership. We believe that God wants you, the simple levels are lead yourself. Don't you know that the hardest person to lead is yourself? Lead yourself, then lead others, then lead leaders. We want to help you with that process because we see something in you. But we want to be really clear about the type of leadership we want to empower you into. It's the type of leadership of service where you empty yourself and give your life away. And here's what's crazy. You do that, you'll have the most joy. I believe today, and I'm convinced that people have less joy because they're living unfulfilled lives where they're just simply not giving themselves away to others. Because the great irony, Jesus said, if you try to hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you'll gain it. In the kingdom of God, the way up is down. You want God to exalt you? Humble yourself and serve. And then God will elevate you to positions of leadership that you never thought that you deserved or could ever get to. And you'll never doubt or wonder why God put you there. There's not a day that goes by in my life that I think I somehow deserve this. Because I know me. And for whatever reason, God has consistently in my life put me in leadership situations where I felt so unqualified and so ill-equipped. God did this in sports all the time. I was not the best athlete, and somehow, some way, he would elevate me into a situation of leadership, and I'd have to figure it out. But the one principle that's gone through every leadership lid or level that I've been on is I've always just wanted to serve the people, to give my life like Jesus as best I could as a ransom for others. There might be some of you here today and you don't know Jesus and you don't know that he came to serve you and he came to pay the penalty of your sin. And then there may be some of you that you know that you're just not living like that because Jesus is not only our savior, but he's our example. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth that Jesus is so much better than Rehoboam. Jesus is so much better than King Solomon and King David. Thank you that he's so much better than Adam. And as you call him in the New Testament, he's the last Adam. He's the one who reversed the curse from the, mis- the failure of leadership in the first Adam. The failure of leadership to lead his own wife. Thank you that we have a leader now 
who is leading his bride, the church. And God, I pray for anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't understand that that Jesus came to serve them, to save them, to give his life as a payment for them. I pray that you would open their eyes to see the glory of that because no other person, no other religious leader ever laid down their life for their followers. This is what makes Jesus unique and makes our faith in him so different. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, if there's never been a point in time in your life where you've trusted Jesus, where you have in faith responded to the fact that he opened your eyes to see the truth that Jesus came to save you. So if you want to trust Jesus and be saved right there where you are, I'm going to ask you to pray, not out loud, but follow me. It goes like this. Say, God, thank you for loving me. You sent your son in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me. Forgive me. I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking. If you just prayed, trust Jesus for the first time, very simply, would you just lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put it down. But then those of us who have trusted Jesus, it doesn't matter what age you are. You might be a student in school. You might be in college. You might be a single adult. You might be a husband, a wife, a grandmother, a grandfather. Doesn't matter. God has put you in places where you can influence for good those around you. And the only way that we can bring heaven to earth for his kingdom to come and his will to be done is when those that follow Jesus act like Jesus. When those who love Jesus follow Jesus and use the gifts and talents and abilities and the leadership opportunities that he has given them as a platform to equip and empower others. So no matter what situation or circumstance you're in, I want you to know God wants you to be a servant leader. And you may say, Jason, you don't understand this. People that I work for, they're horrible. Well, guess what? Jesus also watched, washed the feet of Judas, the one who would betray him. So you just put on a towel and you serve. You just take the posture of a servant and you let God deal with their heart. And you never know. That when you serve someone who is a tyrant to you, God may make that very act what breaks their heart. So no matter what position you're in, know that God has put you in that position to serve, to equip and empower others. And we as a church are saying that. That's all we want to do. We want to equip and empower you for the work of ministry, as Ephesians 4 says. We believe God has a work for you, and we want to equip and empower you for the sake of the mission of the kingdom. And we just see something in you that maybe you don't see in yourself, but understand the only way that you're developed into that is when you step into that opportunity. You always feel unprepared. That's why you need to seek wisdom from others, move slowly, and serve.
Father, we want this. We want to be this kind of church. We want to be these kind of wives and husbands and parents and friends where we see every opportunity as an opportunity to serve, to come up underneath people and lift them up, to be a builder, to be a lifter. God, it is so easy to tear down. It doesn't take any kind of gifting to tear down. And there are far too many people in the world and in the church today that see it as their mission to tear down. But you didn't give us gifts to tear down. You gave us gifts to build up. And the way that we build up is we lift up. We don't lord over. And so God, would you allow that to happen in our families and in our church and in our communities? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.